Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. I just want to remind myself, you know, maybe y'all too, that a um, guy that everybody was scared of was literally on the run from. Um, a guy who had bodyguards with him who would go into a hospital and kill nurses and janitors without any care. A guy who would uh, take children and allegedly, not really, we didn't think they did, murder them. And also dismember a woman who had nothing to do with it. A guy who would do all of that would get killed in a bathroom by somebody with a corkscrew in their hand. If they're making Fly Boogie out to be the big bad in this book, I need to see something more than that because that was just a lot. A lot, a lot. And um, I, I just don't like the quick closure that they're giving these villains, you know, just so then they can pop up again later. Like with murder, you know, the way that he died in the book where, um, Mia Moore stabbed him in the throat and left him bleeding out. You would think Mia Moore, a murder mama would know how to hit somebody's uh, artery, but apparently she didn't, or he was able to do something to stop the bleeding after she had left because he popped back up alive. So I'm wondering if Barack is going to pop back up alive, but I doubt it. But yet, it's the book we read. Chapter 9. Mia Moore held the broom in her hands, sweeping as the sound of the ocean crashing onto the shore soothed her soul. She hated the silence. It left her with too much room to think, and whenever she got into her emotions, the past would come back to haunt her. Now she understood how Aries could leave it all behind. When her best friend had moved to suburbia and established a new identity, Mia Moore had judged her. Now, here she was, years later, doing the exact same thing. Living a lie, a beautiful lie, where she was a bar owner named Lisa, married to a man named Brandon. Mia Moore and Murder had become two regular people, living in paradise under false pretenses. Nobody knew that their marriage was fabricated. It was forged with fake documents, fake identities. Nobody knew that they barely spoke. Nobody knew that they slept in separate beds. 
all people saw was what Mia Moore wanted them to see. They were ordinary and far removed from the violent path of bodies they had left in their wake. Mia Moore had thought of leaving murder, but the security that he provided was priceless. She wasn't afraid. She wasn't paranoid. After fleeing the country and buying a little piece of property on a beach in the Bahamas, her nerves had settled. She and murder were ready for Baraka. Whenever he decided to get revenge, they'll be prepared. Two guns were better than one. They were partners, and she respected him for sticking by her side, despite the fact that she didn't love him. She had to admit that he was loyal. The sound of heavy footsteps behind her didn't raise the hairs on the back of her neck. She knew it was murder, coming to take her home after a busy day at the bar. Give me one minute, murder. I just have to finish cleaning, she said without even turning to look his way. Take all the time you need, Ma. When you're done, I'm taking you home. She froze at the sound of his voice and then spun around in shock. Fly Boogie stood before her. He had changed. He had grown. He was still fly as ever and still carried the same charming smile. How did you find me? she asked, now worried that she wasn't as low-key as she thought. It doesn't matter, he said. He didn't want to tell her that he had committed their last conversation to memory. He couldn't tell her that she crossed his mind often. He wouldn't chump himself. Mia Moore had always been out of his league, but the new gift that he was about to give her would level the playing field. I came to tell you that it's safe to come back. I took care of your problem for you, and I have someone who really wants to see you. What are you talking about, she asked. Fly Boogie walked up into Mia Moore's space. He aligned his mouth with her ear and whispered, That nigga's a fucking memory. Mia Moore gasped as she pulled back and looked up at Fly. You killed Baraka? She thought in disbelief. He nodded, confirming the question that her eyes were asking. Am I interrupting something? Murder asked as he entered the bar. What up, little nigga? I see you still pussy whipped and ain't even hit that shit yet. Fuck is you doing here? Fly Boogie stepped up to Murder coolly, holding out his hand as if it was all love. Murder eased up a bit, but suddenly Fly's demeanor changed and he grabbed Murder's neck and shoved his head into the bar top. Don't fuck with me. I ain't come here for this, but it can go there if that's how you want to play it. Fly threatened through gritted teeth. Miamore stood there in shock. Fly had never been afraid of a challenge, but he had changed. He had bossed all the way up and carried an aura of power that he hadn't possessed before. Fly mushed Murder's face into the wood hard before releasing him, tossing him. Let's go, Miamore, Fly said confidently. He spoke the words as if he knew she was going to comply. What do you mean, let's go, Miamore? Murder challenged. She ain't going nowhere, nigga. Mia Moore gripped the broom so tight that her palms hurt. Mia Moore could speak for herself, she said. Fly, can you give us a minute? She asked. Fly nodded, but never looked her way. The stare down between him and murder was malicious. Their egos were involved. Fly? Mia Moore said again. Fly looked at her and then stepped off. Mia Moore turned to murder, who was seething in anger. He grabbed her neck roughly. Pinning her against the bars, he pointed a chastising finger in her face. You called that nigga here? Mia Moore hadn't felt this gut instinct in a long time. The urge to murk something, to bark, to attack. But as murder gripped her neck, she felt her old self emerging. 
Mia Moore reached her hand beneath the bar where she had taped her gun. There were weapons planted all around the place. She never knew when she would need one. It was in her nature to stay strapped. She brought the gun to his temple. Have you lost your mind? she asked. Murder licked his lips in amusement. My murder mama, he whispered. The way he said it sent a chill down her spine. She could never grow with murder. He obsessed over her being the same young, murderous girl she had always been. There was no room for maturation with him. Mia Moore shook her head and lowered her gun. You have to stop. You have to stop obsessing over me and trying to make me into who I was over ten years ago. I'm not yours, murder. I haven't been in a long time. I loved you once, but you terrorized my life, stalked me, kidnapped me, put my back up against the wall, all to make me stay with you. I can't do this anymore. I'm not doing it. It's time we both let go. You're a part of my past, and I appreciate you for showing me how to survive. You and I could have been good friends, but you've ruined that. You've ruined any chance of me ever wanting to keep a connection to you. I'm not yours. I'm not a possession murder. Damn, just let it go. You go your way, I'll go mine. You can have half the money. It's just time we say goodbye and it's time to move on. You have to accept that. Mia Moore spoke with so much passion that tears came to her eyes. It was like she was pleading for her freedom. This relationship had run its course. If she was honest, she would admit the murderer put a fear in her heart when she was only 16 years old. He had used that fear to control her ever since. Mia Moore thought that passion he had for her, the obsession, would be the thing that killed her. She wasn't doing it anymore, however. She wasn't living this way. Baraka was dead. Fly had come back for her when Carter himself hadn't even bothered to. She was leaving. So, once again, they're not going to communicate how Fly got close to Baraka. Like, it was just happenstance. And also, um, when did Murder put fear into her? Because Murder, she wanted to be with Murder so badly when she was 16. Like, I'm not saying anything. Like, it was when she was 16. But when she was 16, he was showering her with gifts and cars and shit. And so, she thought he was the best. So, when did he put fear into her? I don't understand that part. Murder lowered his head until their foreheads met. I love the shit out of you, Mia Moore. It's always been you, he admitted. There was just something about Mia Moore. Murder, Carter, Fly. She had connected with them in a way that no other woman could. It wasn't her sex or even her looks, but her mentality that captured their hearts. She was it for them, but there wasn't enough of her to go around. She only wanted one of them, Carter. But because of all that had occurred... He no longer wanted her. I know, she whispered. She hadn't anticipated this sadness. When she thought of the day they would part ways, she had thought she would feel joy. But she was letting go of her oldest friend. She didn't have family. She didn't have cousins or brothers. Her mother was gone. Her sister was gone. It was just her, and murder was her oldest connection. Just let go and take care of yourself. Goodbye, murder. Goodbye, murder mama, he replied. She placed a gun on the bar and walked away, breathing a sigh of relief. It was easy. He had let her go. He was letting her walk away. He was... The bullet took her breath away, and she gripped her stomach as she placed her hands on the blood spot growing on her white sundress. The burning that invaded her back brought tears to her eyes. He shot me, she thought in disbelief. 
She turned around and looked him in the eyes as Fly Boogie rushed in, hearing the blast. She fell backwards, stumbling into his arms, but her eyes never left murders. She knew what he was about to do. She knew him like the back of her hand. He was as connected to her as one of her limbs. She watched in horror as he turned the gun on himself and put a bullet in his head. Fly Boogie picked her up. It's okay. It's okay. I'm going to get you to a hospital, Mia. Just hold on, he said. He's dead? Mia Moore asked. So many times she had assumed so, only to have him come back to haunt her later. Fly Boogie turned around and looked at Murder's body. He's dead, Ma. You ain't touched the body. You ain't walk over there and put your finger on the bullet hole in his head. You ain't you ain't put hands over his nose, see if he's breathing. He gonna come back with like a metal plate in his head or something and be like a Terminator. Something like, man. Mia Moore awoke. I must be in heaven, she whispered as her son's face came into view. He was older, a big boy now, and so close to her that she could reach out and touch him. Hmm. She whimpered as she shook her head, trying to shake off the haze of medication. Am I dreaming? She whispered. Fly Boogie was standing over her now. Shh, rest me and more. I'll explain everything to you when you come to. The pain that pierced her abdomen was unbearable as she finally came out of the fog. She struggled to pull herself up as darkness enveloped the room. Fly Boogie was sleeping in the chair next to her but when he heard her movements, he instantly went to her side. You're okay, he whispered as he leaned over and rubbed the top of her head. You're fine. Bitch nigga didn't hit anything major. Bullet went in and out. You just have to rest. I had a dream. I saw my son, she whispered. You weren't dreaming me anymore. I came for you because I found him. I found him and Mo when I killed Baraka, he said in a low tone. He stood up and went to the curtain that separated the beds in the room. He pulled it back and revealed the two boys who were sleeping, cramped in a tiny bed. Mia Moore's hands flew to her mouth in disbelief. She was speechless and her eyes pulled with tears. How? Is this real? She didn't care about the pain now. She swung her legs over the side of the bed. No. Lie down, Fly said. CJ, she whispered. She grabbed the rolling IV stand and wheeled her legs to hold her up as she hobbled over to the bed. She touched his face and gasped. Oh my God, you did this for me? She asked. She knew that getting to Baraka was nearly impossible. Fly Boogie had risked it all for her. She owed him her life. Her legs grew weak and Fly Boogie scooped her in his arms. It's late. Let them sleep. He's here now. He isn't going anywhere. When you're better, we'll make the trip back and take Mo to his father. I'm in L.A. getting a lot of money now, me and more. Life is good. Only thing missing is you. But I'm applying no pressure. You have years of catching up to do with your son. I just want to be here for you. Nobody's going to call Carter? Okay, cool. He laid her back in the bed, but she didn't sleep. She didn't want to close her eyes and find out this is all a dream. She watched CJ and Mo all night until they awoke. Look who woke up, Fly said, knowing that CJ had been eager to see his mother. Ma! He yelled in excitement as he hopped out of bed and ran to her, crushing her as he hugged her. She didn't care that he was on her bullet wound. It was the best pain she had ever felt. 
Tears came. His, hers. She kissed the top of his forehead. I am never going to let you go, baby. I miss you so much. I'm so sorry, she whispered. Mo stood awkwardly. His disappointment was evident. He wanted his mother, but he had witnessed Lena's death for himself. She was gone, and there was no bringing her back. It was then the Baraka had used to keep them from running away. He had promised them that he would kill everyone else they loved if they ever disobeyed him. Lena was gone forever, but where was his dad? Mia Moore looked at him and held out her arms. Come on, Mo. Don't worry. We're going to take you back to your dad. Everything's going to be okay. You're safe now, I promise. Fly Boogie flew them all back to L.A. on a private flight a few days later. As they crossed the Atlantic, Mia Moore turned to fly. Thank you, she whispered. He didn't respond, but instead he pinched her chin softly and brought his face close to hers. He felt her body tense. She was uncomfortable. He paused, thinking twice about kissing her. You're welcome, he said. Pulling back, ego slightly bruised, he was still full of understanding. Mia Moore felt bad. She knew how much he loved her. She just didn't want to mislead him, but she did owe him. You have to get Carter out of your system. Move on. Fly's a good guy and he did all this for you, she told herself. Still, she couldn't help how she felt. She had love for Fly. She even found him attractive and loyal, but she was head over heels in love with Carter. Carter isn't here, she reminded herself. Her thoughts consumed her entire flight. When they landed, a black SUV waited at the clearport and they were driven to Fly's house. Wow, you're getting money out here, she whispered when they pulled up to his home. It was beautiful. It was a type of home that was filled with love and laughter, kids and maybe a dog. All this just for you? He chuckled. Yeah, I would only want to share this with one other person, but she bullshitting, he said playfully. Let me show you around. Mia Moore blushed, slightly embarrassed. I think there's a room set up upstairs for each of you, Fly said to them as soon as they got inside. The boys took off, and Mia Moore looked at him curiously. I had it put together while we were in the Bahamas. I figured they want their own space until you're well enough to track down Monroe and CJ's father. Mia Moore peeped out Fly I didn't speak Carter's name, but she didn't say anything. She smiled. Thank you, she whispered. You don't have to keep thanking me, he said. I can't thank you enough, she answered. There's a room upstairs for you, too. If there's something in there that you need that you don't have, let me know and I'll get it for you, he said, pointing to the silver door near the kitchen. There's an elevator, so you don't have to bust your stitches trying to go up and down the stairs. Mia Moore made her way slowly to it and up to her room. She sat down in the king-sized bed slowly, wincing as she looked around. She was so grateful that she just let her tears fall. Thank you, God, she cried. It was time to piece her life back together. This was a second chance to get it right. And no, Fly wasn't the man she thought she would make a life with, but he was a man who loved her. He would do anything for her, and Mia Moore told herself that it was time to put away her hopes of she and Carter ever reuniting. It was time to live in the present, whether she wanted to or not. So we're just never, I I, I was joking at first, I was saying it like, but now really she's not going to call Carter and tell him that their son's alive. Word? Okay. She heard a knock at the door. Come in, she said.
Fly opened the door. You like it? He asked. She nodded. I do, she replied. There isn't anything that you could ask me that I wouldn't do, Ma. You know that, right? He asked. Ma, she thought. She closed her eyes briefly. It was what Carter called her. Her eyes fluttered open. I know, she replied. He closed the door and walked over to the bed, getting on his knees in front of her. He spread her legs. What are you? She paused when she felt him slide her panties to the side. Oh, she moaned when he sucked her butt into his mouth. It had been three long years since she had been intimate with anyone. She hadn't let murder touch her. Oh, wait, fly, wait. She threw her head back. This is assault. I don't want y'all to get anything twisted. There's no consent in this. This is assault. He opened his mouth like a fish and sucked on her entire pussy, pulling her lips into his mouth. He buried his face in her with just the right amount of pressure. She was dripping wet. Do you want me to stop? He asked. She looked down at him, at this young fool in love. She nodded yes, but her lips said no. For real? Come on now, writers. It was all the invitation he needed. You taste so good, Ma, he whispered while kissing her inner thighs. He licked her with long strokes, like he was trying to clean up a melting ice cream cone. Her toes curled. You taste so fucking sweet. Damn this pussy good. She could feel her womanhood swelling in lust as he stiffened her tongue, targeting her center. Miamore gripped the comforter on the plush bed. Full confession. Judge me if you want. I don't give a fuck. Also, give me five stars on Spotify, because I'm real honest with y'all. Usually when I read these uh, sex scenes, I get aroused. I do, because I'm a visual person, and I can picture it, and I get aroused, but there's no arousal here, because this is literally assault. And she knows she doesn't like him, and he knows he doesn't like her, that she doesn't like him, and yet, he's doing this. And it ain't cool. And I'm not feeling it. Oh my God, fly, she moaned, calling his name. It only added to the fervor. He leaned her back, hurting her gunshot wound slightly, but she took that little bit of pain in exchange for the pleasure he was delivering. He ate her like she was his last meal, licking her passionately. I'm about to come, she moaned. She reached between her legs to place her hands on his head as she melted all over his tongue. He licked her clean and then inserted two fingers as he slid down the crack of her rear. There was no part of Miamore's body that he wouldn't please, and he proved it as he brought her to a second orgasm, leaving her spent. He came up for air and wiped his mouth with a charming smile plastered on his face. He wanted her. She could see how much by the tint in his jeans, and she wanted it too. If he tried his hand, she would let him have it, but to her surprise, he turned and headed for the door. He walked out without saying one word, and he didn't need to. His actions spoke for themselves. Yeah, he assaulted her. Chapter 10 There was only one place where money would go after leaving Vegas. Miami. It was his home. It was his city. His father had fed every family in the hood at one point. The diamond name rang bells in Miami, and he had love. It wasn't hard for him to take over when he returned. After losing Lena and Mo, something had snapped inside of Monroe. He was no longer the level-headed twin. He was becoming more and more like Mecca as the years passed. Hot-headed, 
boisterous, ruthless. It was like Mecca Soul had taken over Monroe's body. Now he was all about the lifestyle. He had enough women and jewelry to prove it. Monroe was a kingpin, and even the most naive eye could see that. He didn't care, however. He knew tomorrow wasn't promised. He had learned that lesson the hard way. He was just trying to live. The sound of his phone ringing was the only reason why he crawled out of bed. The two Dominican models he had entertained the night before were still sleeping. They had made a money sandwich last night. He chuckled as he recalled the previous night's events. Even he had to laugh at his outlandish ways. He was a savage. He picked up his cell phone, noticing that it was the gate guard calling. Mr. Diamond, you have visitors. Miss Miamore Jones is here with three guests, the guard informed him. Money's blood boiled. He hadn't seen Miamore since Lena's funeral. He hadn't seen anyone since the funeral, actually, but Miamore, he resented. He blamed her for the way the things had unfolded with Baraka. Let her in, Monroe said. He hung up the phone and slipped on some clothes. Get up. Get up. It's time to bounce, he said as he slapped one of the girls on her voluptuous behind. Voluptuous again. Here we go. He grabbed the bottle of champagne that they had been drinking and tipped it to his lips. He kept it in his hands. Might as well finish this shit, he thought. Aye, Poppy. I thought we would have more fun, one of them cooed. Fun's over, bitch. Monroe stated. He tossed in their clothes as they dragged themselves out of bed, cursing them out in Spanish. I speak that shit too, bitch. Get out, he said, ushering them to the door. You drove us here. How are we supposed to get home, the other girl asked. Monroe pulled out a stack of cash and tossed it to the girls. For your time, he said. I thought one of the rules of being a kingpin or whatever was never show nobody where you live. So you just driving random girls back to your spot? That's what we're doing, money? You're just driving random-ass women back to your spot where you lay your head. So then if they want to come back with, say, some Haitians, they know exactly where you live. That's the plan? Okay, cool. What do we look like? Prostitutes? The self-righteous one said, offended. The other one flipped through a rubber banded stack and quickly silenced her friend. Nah, we square money. Call me. She pulled her friend out the front door as Monroe stepped onto the porch. He watched as a tinted SUV pulled up and Moore stepped out of the pasture side. Moments later, Fly Boogie exited the driver's side. You got a lot of nerve showing up here, Moore, Monroe said, slightly irritated. Moore didn't even speak. She simply opened the back door and Mo came running out. Daddy, Mo said as he ran up the steps. The champagne bottle fell from his hands and shattered against the concrete stairs as Mo ran full speed into a stunned Monroe's arms. CJ exited the truck and stood in front of Mia Moore as she placed her hands on his shoulders. Monroe held out his arms as if he was being hugged by a kid he didn't know. His confusion was written all over his face. He knew this was his son because he looked just like him. How? He thought as he looked at Mia Moore for the answers. He picked up his son and hugged him so tight that Mo couldn't breathe. Mo's like what? 16 now? 16? They said it, didn't they? Hold on. 13 to 16, somewhere in that range? I'm just saying, like, okay, I love my son. I give my son kisses every night, but, I mean, he like six foot. Can't pick him up that easily. Anyhow, me and Moore, Fly, and CJ ascended the steps.
Monroe was so emotional that he had to pinch the bridge of his nose to stop himself from crying. Does that work? I don't see how that would work. We'll explain everything, Mia Moore said as she walked inside. Boys, why don't you go outside and play while we talk? If I remember right, there's a basketball court in the back, she added. Monroe nodded, and the boys took off. But before his son could get fully out the door, Monroe called him. Mo! He stopped and turned to his dad. Mo looked like he was okay. He was back home in one piece. Monroe walked over to him and hugged him tightly. I love you, son, he said. I love you too, Mo said before racing out. He turned to me and more and fly. How are they here? We had a memorial service. Baraka said he killed him. He never went through with it, Fly Boogie started. Fly explained the entire story to Monroe, leaving out no detail. So if he's not leaving out any detail, then me and Moore at that point in time, you should know that Carter couldn't have touched this dude and it was just happenstance and luck. And be like, cool, get me back to Carter. But nope, that's not what's going to happen. By the end of it, Monroe had nothing but respect for him. He'll be forever indebted to Fly for bringing his only born back home. Did he hurt them? In any way, Monroe asked, afraid of the answer, but having to know anyway. No, Miamor said. They saw Lena be killed, and he used that fear to stop them from running or telling anyone else who they really were. But I've asked them hundreds of times, and each time they both tell the same story. He treated them well. He wanted us to suffer, not them. Monroe wiped his face as he took all of this in. Just the day before, he hadn't thought he had anything to live for. Now he was finding out that he had everything to live for. We should have looked for him. We should have found Baraka. They were gone for three years. We missed three years with them because we gave up, Monroe said, beating himself up. We can't dwell on the time we lost. We just have to make up for the gift that we've been given, Miamore said. She looked at Fly. The gift Fly has given us. She rubbed the top of Fly Boogie's hand intimately. And Monroe noticed. He was shocked at her display of affection for him. But hell, at that point, Monroe could have kissed him. So he could see how Fly Boogie had won over Mia Moore after the loyalty he had shown. So nope, nobody's calling Carter. I owe you. Let me pay you for that hit. Show my gratitude, Monroe said. Nah, I'm good. I'm not hurting for anything. I got my own thing going on, my G, Fly said. The fact that he had turned down a huge payday made Monroe respect him more. You're a good nigga, Fly Boogie, Monroe said as he stood and slapped hands with him. He pulled him in for an embrace and patted Fly firmly on the back. He turned to me and more. Can I rap with you a second? He asked. Yeah, of course, she said. I'll go out and check on the boys, Fly said, dismissing himself. Look, Money, I know what you're going to say. Me and Fly, it just... She searched for the right words. Happened. Monroe surprised him when he replied, I understand. Carter might kill him, but he's good with me. I haven't spoken to Carter in three years. Fly came back for me. Carter didn't, she said, her voice cracking in sadness. Monroe noticed, but didn't say anything. He knew this strong woman always did have a weakness for his oldest brother. Does he know? About CJ? No, she whispered. I don't know how to find him. How does Zaire know how to find him, but nobody else does? Nobody has his telephone number. Ain't shit changed. Ain't nobody got his cell phone number. Come on now, y'all. 
Yeah, well, that makes two of us, Monroe admitted. I haven't spoken to Carter either. I talk to Breeze often. She keeps me connected with Zaire, but Carter doesn't want to be found. Well, I have to let him know about this, she said. CJ needs him. He's been asking for him. I have to find him. You were married to the nigga, Monroe said. You know him, inside and out. He let you get in more than any of us. You loved him once. Once, she scoffed. I love your brother until the air leaves my lungs. I'm with Fly, but it's because Carter left me alone. It's because none of y'all communicated shit. None of you. I bet the next big thing that gets communicated somewhere down the line is going to be how Fly shot Carter. And then me and Moore is going to shoot Fly. I'm saying, that bond, that love, if anybody can find Carter, it's you. You know how he thinks. You know his patterns, his habits, his wishes. You'll find him. I can tell you're guarded. You built up a wall around that subject out of respect for your new nigga. You're going to have to tear that motherfucker down, though, so you can feel that shit again. That's the only way you're going to locate him. Me and Moore nodded. And me and you? He pointed between the two of us. We're good. We're family. Thank you for taking care of my son. So the only person who can find Carter is Zaire. That's that's what you're telling me now. That's what you're telling me. Okay. Chapter 11. Carter stood overlooking the snow-covered woods. Does he not have a phone? The land was covered in so much white that it almost sparkled. What would have normally been a pitch-black night was illuminated by the abundance of snow. It was peaceful. It was a beautiful escape from the evil ways of men, and he never wanted to leave. Despite his tranquil surroundings, Carter was haunted. He was tired, emotionally drained, and so full of sadness it had poured out of his eyes. He couldn't stop his soul from revealing his anguish. Anytime anyone looked him in the eyes, they could see that he was tormented by memories of the past. He heard the footsteps behind him, and he automatically tensed. He knew who it was. He knew that she meant him no harm, but still, he reacted. He will live the remainder of his life looking over his shoulder, unfortunately. Why are you awake? he asked without turning around. I should be asking you that, Sam said as she walked up behind him, caressing his broad, tense shoulders. The pills aren't working? A man shouldn't have to take sleeping pills to rest at night, Carter replied. She leaned her head against his strong back and sighed deeply as her arms wrapped around his waist. He was grateful for her. Her presence alone made the seclusion bearable. Come on, she said as she walked over to the set of leather chairs that sat adjacent to the fireplace. A notepad was already in place on the small decorative table that separated them. Carter took his seat as she picked up the pen and pad. Tell me about it. This was why she was invaluable to him. Sure, she kept his bed warm at night. She cooked for him and kept up the chalet as well. But it was this, the therapy sessions, that soothed him. When I close my eyes at night, I see my son. I see my brother Mecca. I see my father's face, Carter stated in a low, serious tone. The guilt. He paused and cleared his throat to stop himself from choking up. Why do you feel guilty, Sam said as she crossed her legs, wrinkles creasing in her forehead as she observed him. Because of the woman I chose, he said. Sam tensed. 
Carter's eyes glistened with pulls of emotion, but he quickly blinked them away. You never talk about her, Sam said. It's okay for you to talk to me about your son's mother. Carter shook his head. He gripped the armrest of the couch so tightly that his fingertips turned white. Although he tried every day, he couldn't forget Mia more. I can't, he said. He stood and went to the bar to pour himself a glass of cognac. He quickly downed a shot before refilling it. You shouldn't drink. It only worsens the depression, Carter. I pulled you from a really dark place. I don't want you to go back there, Sam said. It numbs the pain, Carter admitted. What did she do to you, Sam asked, pressing him to talk about things he swore he would never mention. Why are you so damaged? What could one woman do? She was Helen of Troy, Carter stated. He smirked at the thought of her. You went to war for her, Sam replied, a bit envious. Here we go again. First of all, you're his therapist. Should you be sleeping with him? Isn't that a conflict of interest? Isn't it? Like, at least a little bit? Was she worth it? Carter remembered the passion that he had felt when he had been with Mia Moore. He remembered the intensity of their love. Does he remember that he got drugged by by uh, Yasmin yet? Does he remember that at all? Remember everything else except for being drugged by Yasmin, which would have fixed this whole situation. Just the thought of their bond made his heart rate increase. But with every good memory, there came a bad one. What I lost because of her? Nah, she wasn't worth that, Carter stated, finishing his drink. Sam put down her pen. When a man finds and loses the love of his life, it's hard for any woman after that to measure up, she whispered. Carter heard the sentiment in her voice. Come here, he beckoned. She did as she was told. He pulled her onto his lap as they both watched the burning fire. I don't want anything close to what I used to have, he assured her. I'm content here with you. I don't want to make you content, Carter, she admitted. I just want to make you happy. She turned around, straddling him. She was careful not to hurt him. The silk folds of her womanhood were exposed under the button-down shirt she had slept in. His hands caressed her skin as he quickly found her clit, massaging it slowly with his thumb. Her hips began to work as her eyes fluttered and her mouth fell open slightly. He enjoyed seeing her in ecstasy. His desire grew as she reached down, releasing him before she slid down on him. She sucked him in, and the feeling of her, the grip she had on him, caused all of the tension to leave his body. He cupped her breasts and kissed him gently as she rode him. Her rhythm was slow. Her pace was intense, and together their passion filled up the room. Sam leaned back and braced her hands on his thighs while rolling her hips in pleasure. She was caught up in a rapture with this marvelous man. She knew it, as did he. Oh God, I love you, she moaned. Carter tensed, and in the blink of an eye, his mood changed. Wait, he whispered as he grabbed her waist and lifted her off of him. What's wrong, she gasped. She placed a hand over her heart, breathless. I haven't been fair to you, Carter said. I can't give you what you want from me, Sam. I don't want anything, Carter. There is no expectation, she said. I'm a big girl. I don't have any love to give, Carter said. I can appreciate you. I can enjoy you. 
but I can't love you, Sam. I know, she whispered as she cupped his face. That doesn't stop me from loving you, because everybody falls in. I hate the woman who wounded you so much, and that also happens. Back to back. I don't need you to love me, but I won't lie about my feelings for you. I just want you to open up to me. You can trust me with anything. Why do you think I'm here, in the middle of nowhere? You're paying me well, but it isn't about the money. I had family and friends. I'm up here with you, cut off from the world, and I've never felt more alive. Jesus Christ. So no, you don't have to love me. Just don't shut me out. Don't ask me to go away and don't hold back. So basically, she's his fly. This is pathetic. Carter wished that things could be different. She was good for him. She was a good woman, the type any man would love to make his wife. She was just so guarded. He couldn't afford to be vulnerable. Not again. After losing his son and exiling Mia Moore from his life, he didn't think he deserved to feel joy. So instead of allowing himself to connect fully with Sam, he put up guards, blocking her from ever getting too close. They were together in an unconventional way. They talked, the sex was good, and the chemistry was magnetic. But he was no good for her. He knew what kind of karma he had sown. When it came back around, he didn't want to pull Sam into his mess. She could only get hurt being with him. She was too legitimate for him. She didn't know about the wars he had fought, the people he had killed, or the drugs he had sold. She didn't know the kingpin. She knew what he pretended to be now. The simple, secluded persona that he had made up. She had no idea how real things could get in this world. In his world. Carter, look at me, Sam whispered. Their eyes met. You're everything to me. Just let me in. She kissed him, and his reluctance melted away as he swept her under him and laid her gently on the bearskin rug. Be careful, Carter, she said, concerned. He was fragile. After being shot, he wasn't quite the same. With only one good lung, he moved slower, and his pain was not only emotional or mental, but physical as well. He was broken, but pleasing a woman will always be his expertise. Sam didn't know him outside of Colorado. All she saw was the secluded part of him. The man who chopped firewood and played chess against himself. She didn't know his gangster. He was all G, and he handled her body as much. He silenced her worries with a kiss as he entered her, rocking her body. The only sounds that could be heard was the crackling fire and her cries as she called his name over and over again. Carter awoke as the rising sun began to sneak past his curtains. They had fallen asleep on the floor, her head resting on his chest. He slid from underneath her, being careful not to awaken her. A chill had settled over the house. The fire had burned out, and the heat alone wasn't enough to battle against the negative degrees temperatures outside. He slipped into his clothes, head spinning from the night before. He pulled on his coat, grabbed his gloves, and stepped into his boots before heading outside. The winter air was biting cold, but he didn't mind. He had grown used to it. He inhaled deeply, and then grabbed the axe that sat next to the porch. Never in a million years had he predicted this would be his life, but this was the only place where he could go that didn't remind him of his former life. This had become his refuge. He headed into the backyard and collected some wood from his stockpile. 
He then took it to the chopping block and began to break them down. He swung hard, overexerting himself probably, but he didn't care. Since he was no longer in the business of running empires, this was the only way he knew to let off steam. There was no one to punish for the death of his seed. There was no vengeance to be had because he knew if he even broached the subject, he would be killing himself. Baraka was too powerful a man to wage war against, so he held his rage inside and took it out on wood every chance he got. By the time he was done, he had worked up a full body sweat. He picked up an armful of logs and headed back into the house. The piercing scream that cut through the air stopped him mid-step. Instinctively, he dropped the firewood and headed to one of the guns he had strategically placed around the property. His paranoia never allowed him to be too far away from a pistol. And in three years, he hadn't had to use one. It seemed his past had caught up to him. He walked up the back stairs and eased through a back door. Me and Morris probably there. He saw Sam curled up, covering herself with one of the bare rugs as she stared intensely at someone. Who are you? What do you want? Sam asked. Carter rounded the corner with his hand around the trigger, but his heart dropped when he saw who had invaded his home. Me and Moore, he whispered in shock. He didn't know what he felt. Hatred, relief, love, confusion, it all plagued him as he squinted in disbelief. Hi, Carter, she said. I haven't met your little friend here. Why don't you introduce us? Her tone was sarcastic, angry even. Despite the fact that they were no more, she was still sick to her stomach at the thought of him being intimate with another woman. Go upstairs, Carter said to Sam without looking at her. He kept his eyes trained on me and more. Carter, who is this? Sam asked. Yeah, Carter, who am I? Mia Moore challenged. Go upstairs, Sam. Now, Carter repeated, his voice stern. No, please stay. I think I deserve to meet the bitch that's fucking my husband, Mia Moore stated. Your husband? Sam asked in shock. This your wife? Sam gasped. In the flesh, Mia Moore replied. She put the gun that she had been pointing at the girl away tucking it away in her Birkin. I take it that he didn't tell you that I murdered the last bitch I caught him cheating with. So we're just confessing that in front of a random person. that I, I murdered somebody. I did that. That's enough, Mia Moore, Carter said with authority. Mia Moore shot him a look that could kill, but she didn't say another word as Carter helped Sam from the floor and whispered something in her ear. Sam rushed out of the room, leaving them to their reunion. It had been three years, and neither of them had ever made their split official. By law, they were still man and wife. Carter placed his gun on the counter and stared at her. Why are you here, Ma? he asked. Do you know what the sight of you does to me? I was starting to forget how much I resented you until I saw your face. His words stung, and she cringed as tears accumulated in her eyes. Carter Jones was her man. He was her husband. He had been her everything. He's still so fucking handsome, she thought as she took a deep breath to stop her nostalgia. He was different. She could see that he had changed. His beard had grown out fully, and worry had aged his features before his time. He looked tired, burdened, and her heart ached just from his presence. All that she really wanted to do was fall into his arms, but she couldn't. He didn't want her. His love had turned to hate for her. She had taken him through too much. Besides, she had moved on. With Fly, none of the bullshit lingered in the air. 
Fly loved her, and although it didn't feel the same as when Carter had loved her, it was love all the same. I hate that you have her here. A part of me was hoping to find that you hadn't moved on, she admitted. I wanted to kill her when she answered the front door. I wanted to put a bullet through her head. Don't speak about her. This is my life now, Carter stated solemnly. I never thought you would have a life without me in it. I thought we were soulmates, Mia Moore said, her lip trembling. Soulmates. Okay, I'm going to do this. Soulmates. First of all, soulmates is the fallacy. There's no such thing. There's people you connect with, yes. But you connect with a lot of people. So there's a lot of soulmates and a lot of different things. And to dub one person a soulmate is dismissive of the fact that they are really just giving you what you need at that time. And so... When you meet that next person who gives you what you need, does that make them your soulmate too? Like, you can have more than one best friend. So, theoretically, you can have more than one soulmate. And so, when people say, I found my soulmate, and you say it over and over and over again, it loses the power of the words that you're giving it. And when you tell somebody that they're your soulmate, and they're like your fifth person, your sixth person, your eighth person... They have to wonder if they're thinking like I do, whether you told somebody else that before. So I'm going to tell you all right now, soulmates are bullshit. And even if somebody says that you're their soulmate, swallow it. You're their companion. But what I am going to say is this. If you call him your soulmate, then y'all should have been able to communicate through all the bullshit that happened when you were in Vegas. Y'all should have been able to communicate through all the bullshit that happened when me and Moore got kidnapped by murder. Y'all should have been able to communicate through everything that y'all went through and y'all have not communicated once. And I know that this is a book and they got to falsify drama somehow, some way. But I need to tell y'all that part of being close to your, com- sorry, your significant other It's communication. Part of being close to your family, the folks you love, the folks you care about, your friends, is communication. And if you don't communicate, then you're going to have blind spots like this. You're going to have dark moments like this where you're like, well, if you had done this, well, if you had communicated with me, I would have known. And I know that there are people out there who don't like to communicate, who aren't good at communication. But you know what? There are also people out there who aren't good at lifting weights and who aren't good at push-ups. And as they do it over time, it gets easier. Trust me, I'm not just a client. I'm also the goddamn president. This could have all been solved, could have been fixed by simple communication. But instead, we're here now. I thought we were soulmates, Mia Moore said, her lip trembling. She placed her fingers in the corners of her eyes so her makeup didn't run down her face the tears emerged. She sniffled, slightly emotional. We were, Carter whispered. But I can't be with you, Mia Moore. You're reckless. The memories of our baby? They haunt me every day. I have to tell you something, Carter, Mia Moore said. It's about our son. She pulled out her phone and held it out to him showing him a picture of CJ. He's alive, Carter. The news hit him like a ton of bricks, momentarily stunning him as his brow furrowed. He saw her lips moving, but everything after he's alive, he couldn't fathom. 
He gripped the edge of the nearby table and bent over it as if pain had spread through his body. Carter was normally so in control, so composed, but when he looked up at her, tears filled his gaze. How? he asked. This is a dream. I'm dreaming right now, he whispered. No, it's true. It's real, Carter, Mia Moore confirmed. He's alive. Baraka didn't kill him. None of the kids. Monroe's son is okay, too. There's only two of them, so it's neither of the kids. Overwhelmed, Carter sat and planted his face in his hands as he cried. He tried his hardest to stifle his feelings and damn his emotions, but it all poured out of him. All of the hurt, the anger, the regret was flooding into his hands as he sobbed. He had never cried like this, not even as a young boy. Not even when he lost his mother, or his father, or his brother. Not even when he thought he had lost me and more. She walked over to him and placed her hands on the back of his head as he buried his face into her stomach, pulling her close. Seeing him this week moved her. God, this is such a good man, she thought. She was mad at herself. Livid, in fact, for messing everything up between them. Now it was too late. Now it was awkward. Forced. Her actions had reduced into two people with two different lives who shared a child. This isn't how it was supposed to be. We were supposed to love each other forever. Her thoughts were filled with sadness, but she was still grateful. Their son was safe, and that was all that mattered. Carter grunted, <clears throat> slightly embarrassed to regain composure. Again, pinching the bridge of his nose, he shook his head. All the nights he had thought of taking his life to rejoin his son when his son had never left him. I should have gone after Baraka, Carter said. I should have seen his body with my own eyes before disappearing. You didn't know, Mia Moore said. Neither did I. Carter stood to his feet, squaring his shoulders. How'd you get him back? I know Baraka didn't just give him to you. Mia Moore sighed. This was the hard part. This was the part where she would have to tell him the shields would fly. Baraka's dead, Mia Moore revealed. Fly Boogie killed him and brought our son to me. Carter's nostrils flared. Fly Boogie? How the fuck that little nigga get to Baraka? And how you know so much about it? You with that little nigga? Mia Moore lowered her eyes and then took a deep breath as she replied, Yes. Carter's jaw clenched as he stared at her. He said nothing, but she could see the disdain and hurt in his expression. I, she started to explain, but he interrupted her. Where's my son, he demanded. In Miami, with Monroe. I only left him so I could come speak to you, she replied. Come get you. Sam cleared her throat, announcing her presence. <clears throat> Is everything okay, Carter? She asked timidly. Carter sensed her fear. Mia Moore had a way of intimidating most men, so he sympathized with Sam. It's fine. He turned to Mia Moore. I'll be in Miami by this evening. She frowned. I thought we could go together, she said. Carter was so angry with her that he could wring her neck. But you're not going to tell her about the, the tattoo on the wrist, and you're not going to tell her about how you and him were about to fight in the hospital room, because again... Communication, people. Carter was so angry with her that he could wring her neck. Fly Boogie. She letting Fly Boogie walk around with my bitch on his arm, Carter thought. Nah, he said as he walked over to the front door and held it open. 
She raised her eyebrows in disbelief. She knew there would be something in the air between them, but she was taken aback all the same. She didn't wear her heart on her sleeve, however. She spotted Sam's notepad and pen, then leaned down to pick them up. She scribbled on the pad and then handed him the note as she walked past him and out the door. Here's my number. You can call me when you get to Miami, she stated. She looked at Carter seriously. Are you sure this is how you want it to be between us? He stepped closer to her and lowered his voice so he wasn't overheard. You laying in the bed of the little nigga I used to have watching over my blocks, Carter stated. A nigga that I used to line up in my army. How did you think it would be, he asked. You thought you were going to come in here and we were going to be a big happy family? Carter paused and waited for her to answer. Let me explain something to you, Ma. The only reason I'm coming back to Miami is for my son. Word, so now we're going to do the custody battle. God dang it. Mia Moore scoffed. You seem real bothered for a man who has no interest. But whatever you say, she replied. See you in Miami, Carter. She walked down the snowy path and back to her rental car. She could have told him that the fly boogie he remembered had since graduated in the streets and now had an empire to stretch up and down the West Coast, but she didn't. There was no point in defending Fly, because when it came down to it, she would only be doing it out of spite. Her heart would always be in the hands of Carter Jones, but she... But she couldn't force him to open back up to her. Just communicate. Just talk. That's it. This is irritating. Sometimes the past was best left in the past, and although it pained her greatly, she didn't have a choice but to move forward in her life as somebody else's girl. I just realized something, and this hurts me. I'm an empath, and I, I'm not just realizing that. Like, I've known that for, like, my life. But I just realized that books like this, where it's like this, literally cause me pain. Like, this this is anxiety. Because it's like, why is it like this? It doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to force this drama into this. And the writers knew that. The writers could have solved all of this just by making a few simple moves. But they literally chose to write it out this way. <sighs> Carter's heart thundered in his chest as he watched Mia Moore pull away. She was his girl. That's me, he thought, but his pride kept his feet glued in place. Every fiber in his body had wanted to pull her into him, kiss her, cry with her, rejoice with her over the revelation of her son's survival, but he couldn't. She was poison, and partaking in her would lead to his death. She always had been bad for him, and he had always known it, but it wasn't until now that he accepted that fact. Word? Okay. He could not allow Mia Moore to put him or their son in jeopardy ever again. Loving her wasn't worth it. Despite the fact that she was the only person in the world who made him feel whole, he still couldn't take it there. He had to cut it to her rough. He had to make it clear because she would sniff out any indecision he had. She would recognize his weakness and she would make him love her at the drop of a dime. She had that much power over his emotions. He suffered a silent heartbreak as Mia Moore disappeared from his view. Some people were just meant to be together. The universe pulled them together, but they were pulling themselves apart, and that unnatural separation hurt like hell. 
You neglected to mention that you were still married. Sam's voice caused him to turn around and face her. Is that why you don't like to talk about her? Because you didn't want me to know? She asked. It's complicated, he admitted. She pointed a gun in my face, Sam said in a low tone. She said she killed someone over you. Is that true? Carter walked right past her without replying. Carter, she cried out. After three years, I think I deserve to know what I'm dealing with. Who I'm dealing with. You say you own a casino. That you built your empire out west in Las Vegas. But you keep guns hidden in every nook of this house. You have money hidden away under the floorboards. And I'm not talking about a few thousand dollars. You have more than my hands could count, she said. I know you're not who you say you are. You have scars from bullet holes in your chest, and when we have our sessions, you hold back. You could trust me, Carter. You could tell me who you really are. Whatever you've done, it won't change how I look at you. Carter looked her square in the eyes and said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Can I at least go to Miami with you? I'd love to meet your little boy, she said eagerly. He looked at her sternly. I overheard, she admitted. This will bring out so many new emotions in you, Carter. I could talk you through that, help you process it all. He nodded. Pack your bags. I'll have a jet waiting at the Denver airport this evening. You can't be his counselor. You can't be his therapist and his lover. You can't. Those two things blur. Those are literally blurred lines. It doesn't work. She smiled and left the room, leaving him alone with his thoughts. He hadn't been to Miami in eight years. Surely things had changed. So many memories haunted him. Nothing but death and destruction dwelled there, and he hoped that he wasn't making the biggest mistake of his life by going back. Shouldn't have left the Bahamas, my nigga. That's all I'm saying. I should. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can go to the Spotify page and literally on the Spotify feed for Ratchet Book Club or Hindsight or Single Simulcast, depending on which one you're listening to this on. Because, yes, I do have this on multiple feeds. But whichever one you're listening to it on, if you scroll all the way to the top of the page where it says Ratchet Book Club or the other shows, underneath that, there is a ratings thing. And you can push that ratings thing and you can leave a review for the show. It's nothing more than you just leaving five stars. That's simple. And I appreciate it. You can also leave a review on Podchaser and copy and paste that and paste it into Apple Podcasts and then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. I appreciate those too. Thank you so much for listening to me on whatever show you're, whatever feed you're listening to me from, whatever show you're listening to me from. I greatly appreciate it. And thank you for leaving a review. I don't know why I sound like this right now. I sound so energetic, but really I'm just mad. So I'm going to stop. You can also donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. Or at the Good Pods app, you can leave a tip. Communication is a real thing, y'all. Communication with your loved one is a real thing. Communication with your significant other is paramount to a good relationship. And if y'all are listening to this, these books, I hope you see that throughout these books, all of them, one of the biggest things that has caused so much grief 
and trauma has been a lack of communication between people who should be able to communicate. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you're